0: Matthew 18 is where we're at. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. We're uh, trucking our way through uh, the gospel of Matthew. We looked last week at uh, we looked at, at spiritual warfare, on the, the uh, passage on demon possession in chapter 17. The uh, week before that, we looked at uh, the glory of God and the transfiguration. So we're just kind of stepping our way through Matthew here. So we've arrived at chapter 18. And so beginning in verse 1, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, It'd be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Father in heaven, we, we come to you as a good and awesome God. We come to you uh, as the one who has all that we need. Uh, Father, we, we come empty-handed this morning asking that you would fill us with yourself, asking that you would give us your riches of grace and salvation and mercy and power and wisdom. And Father, we pray that you would give us your heart, God, that we might turn and pour that out on the needy. God, make us like yourself. Father, we ask for just clarity and direction as we, as we move through your word this morning. God, help us to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now I want you to remember the context of this section because I think it's really important. In chapter 16 is where Jesus reveals to his disciples that he is the Messiah. If you remember that passage in chapter 16 where he says, you know, who do, who do people say that I am? And they give him All these things people are saying about him. And then he looks at Peter and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God, right? You guys remember that? And, and, and so, like, he reveals, I am the Christ. I am the one through the, who the whole Bible is talking about. The whole Bible is leading to. And I'm the son of the living God and and so they, they have that conversation, the disciples know that. And then Jesus immediately tells them, okay, guys, now I'm going to the cross, which they, they are having a hard time grappling with, right? Because he just told them, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, I'm the coming ruling king. And now he tells them, but I'm also going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to be tortured, and I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die, and I'm going I'm to raise again. And all of that, they're struggling to get their minds around, right? And so now as they're moving toward Jerusalem on the way, The disciples have this conversation about who is the greatest. I say conversation, it's probably more of an argument, actually, is what we find in the other Gospels as we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke together. We find this kind of this, this argument about who is the greatest. You see, their their, their, their mindset is going to, alright, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King. He is going to rule the world, right? That's all coming. They're excited about that. And so the and the questions in their mind is, alright, now, who who's going to have the cheap spots, right? Like, who's who's going to have first position? Who Who's most needed, necessary, important? Who should be the boss right under Jesus of course right that's their question is who is the greatest all right so they're concerned about who number one is how to get to number one how to get a higher rank or position or reputation and and, and Jesus has got to get them in line okay now now as, as we look at this passage in all of the gospels one of the things that we see and I really want to point out to you is that there's nothing wrong with wanting to be great okay a lot of folks, when, when they when they read this, they're, they're shaking their head at the uh, the disciples. I mean, here Jesus is; he's going to the cross; he's gonna he's gonna die, and all they all they can talk about is, well, hey, but who, who's who's the best here? Who's the great? Who's got the top position? who who should Who should be who should be at the top in in the cabinet positions of the kingdom? All right, but but actually, when Jesus begins to correct them on that, he actually does not tell them that there's there's something wrong with wanting to be great. I actually think. You ought to want to be great in the kingdom of God. I actually think that wanting to be mediocre... In the kingdom of God is not a virtue, okay? If you're a Christian here today and you're like, man, I I just I just want to barely make it into the kingdom, you know? That's all I want. I, I don't want to do anything great for Jesus. I, I don't want to serve, I, I just want to not go to hell. That's all I want. Listen, that's not a virtue, okay? We, we, we're not clapping for that. Jesus is not clapping for that. All right. So so there's not there's there's nothing virtuous about saying, hey, I want to be a mediocre Christian, you know? I I just want to slide in and barely do anything for Jesus. There's nothing virtuous about that. So there is something good about actually wanting to be great in the kingdom of God. The big, the big problem is having the right definition of greatness. See, that's, that's where we got we to come back to. They had the wrong definition of greatness. In Mark, it, it explains this, I think, almost better. In Mark 10, 42, uh, they're having this conversation about greatness in the kingdom of God. Let me read it to you. And it says, Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. So he looks at the world and he says, okay, here's where you're getting your definition. You're getting your definition from TV, you know? You're getting your definition from the newspapers. You're getting your definition from, from sporting events and athletics. You're getting your definition from the world. He says, in the world, greatness means being better than somebody else, right? Lording it over somebody else, having authority over other people, be- being the boss, okay? Let me keep reading, right? But he says, but it shall not so be so among you. But whoever would be great Great among you must be your servant, and whoever be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So, so he tells the disciples, you, you've got this thing upside down, all right? That wanting to be great is good, it's fine, it's actually, I think it's a, it's a virtue, but, but greatness is not what you think it is. It's, it's not being the boss, it's not getting your way, it's not being influential and significant and prestigious and, and, and in control and have fame and likes and fans and, and always comparing yourself to others. One, one of the big things that, that we've got we've to disassociate ourselves from is this idea that greatness is compared to somebody else. Right, that 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 whole idea of greatness being I'm better than somebody, I'm more beautiful than others, I'm richer than others, I'm smarter than others, I'm a better athlete, I'm more successful, I'm more holy. That is not in the scriptures as greatness. Okay, that's not the and, and all it does is really bend us towards sin uh, because we all get really cranky when we feel like people are trying to be better than us, don't we? I mean that that bothers everybody. It it, it, it bothers people when when. When, when we feel like people are trying to lord it over us or, or, or to tell us what to do or to take a position of authority over us. This is actually, and, and I'm gonna, I'm, this is not like a completely disassociated subject. We'll come back to it here in a little bit. This is actually what I believe the devil has used to convince an entire generation of American women, many of them mothers, to advocate for the murder of babies. I, I think it's this, this bent, wrong kind of idea of greatness. Okay? So, 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 how do you get a, a, a generation of mothers, mothers? How do you get a generation of mothers to advocate for 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 the murder of children all the way up to birth? I don't know if you've been watching the news. How do you get a generation of mothers to clap their hands and light up the World Trade Center tower in celebration of that? How do you do that? Now you can see how you might get men to do that, right? But how do you get how would you get mothers to do that? Here's how you do it: you frame the discussion as somebody's trying to get control over you. See, if, if you frame the discussion that way, if you frame the discussion as, well, here's what this thing's about, what this thing's about is somebody's trying to be better than you. Somebody's trying to lord it over you. Somebody's trying to have control over you. Well, you frame the discussion, what 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 does our flesh do? All of us. Uh-uh. All right. Nobody's gonna have control over me. Nobody's gonna tell me what I can do with me. Nobody's nobody's gonna be the boss over me. Right? And, and so you have this, this back. I mean. Honestly, if you go back from last week, this, that is demonically genius. Uh, it really is. Like, like, like it is demonically genius to kind of use that, that sinful bent inside of all of us really to frame this whole discussion not as should we murder babies or not, but no, should, should, should these people have control over these other people? So we all automatically have this in us, okay? Like this is in all of us, this this idea of greatness, this idea of control, who's better, who's over who, okay? All, all of that is inside of us. And that's why Jesus has to reteach us about what does it mean to be truly great. Greatness in the kingdom of God is upside down from that, okay? Jesus essentially says that greatness means going the other way. It means humbling yourself and seeking to you put yourself not over others, but, but to put others over you. Greatness is not trying to get over people. It's trying to get under people, right? That's what Jesus says. And Jesus modeled that beautifully. It, greatness is trying to get, get under people. So, so what does Jesus do? Okay, in this discussion of greatness, what does he do? He gets a little kid you know isn't this genius he gets a little kid and he takes a little kid and he, and he and he sets the child right in the middle i kind of picture on his lap right so all the disciples around him and they're talking about greatness and he's like okay here And he gets a little child and he, and he puts him right on his lap now what 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 What's the illustration about there? Well, the child in Jesus' day is not important, right? I mean, this, this kid's got no clout. He's got no political say. He's got no social influence. Uh, he can do nothing for the disciples. There's no importance, no wealth, no property, no possessions, no no skills, nothing that they need, okay? And, and then Jesus says this. He says, all right, first of all, guys, you can't even get in the door of the kingdom until you become like this kid, right? Right? So, so we're not even talking about greatness. We're, we're, we're first of all talking about, can you even get in the kingdom, All right, Can you even be in the kingdom? Can you, can you even be a believer, right? Jesus is the Messiah, he's the king, right? They just learned that, okay? And now they're already talking about greatness and Jesus is like, whoa, 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 okay? Gets the kid, puts him in front of me and says, you can't even get in the door of the kingdom unless you learn to humble yourself as a child. So Jesus is teaching us that when we come to the kingdom, this is the only way to come. The only way to come to the kingdom is to come as children, all right? Now, what in the world does Jesus mean there, okay? What does he mean? Well, he, he explains it, all right? So look in verse 4. He says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he's zeroing in on humility here, okay? So he's zeroing in on, 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 on what it means to be a child in the sense of humility because honestly, he's not just saying become childlike. There's a lot of things about children that you shouldn't imitate, Right? Uh, please don't be self-centered, entitled, demanding, impulsive, foolish, and fit throwers. All right, like, like, like he's not just saying, "Hey, guys, be kid-like." You know, I, that, that's not what he's saying. He's zeroing in on 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 one particular thing here that has to do with greatness, and that that's humility. Okay, so what what are the what are the characteristics of children? That 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 Jesus is is capturing here for saying you can't get in the kingdom you can't come to God until you get like this okay I I, I preached whole sermons on this and and did a bunch of these I I, I want to actually move forward and so I'm just gonna do two okay I'm gonna do, I think the two important ones all right number one the fact that children are dependent okay dependent all right there's this. There's this clear picture here of weakness, helplessness, dependence that Jesus is zeroing in on. Here's the deal. Children need their father. Children need their parent. Children children need someone to take care of them. Children need to receive. They're receivers, okay? I don't know if you've ever seen the, 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 the children's uh, movie uh, Jungle Book, you know, where Mowgli grows up in the jungle, you know, surrounded by wild animals, okay? Okay that could not be further from the truth. All right. Now I take my kids camping and I've took them camping since they were babies. Okay. And and here's the deal. Like, like right now it takes all seven of the rest of us to keep the little guy from peril every day in camping. All right. Like, like you can't put him out there by himself. Right. Like, like the campfire, like, like we've got to snatch him from the campfire three or four times a night, you know, like, like, like kids, Kids are radically dependent, all right? You have to care for them. They they are like this all the time, are they not? You know, in the morning when they, if you got little kids when they came, man, they didn't get here on their own, right? They, they didn't get their underwear on on their own. They didn't get their breakfast on on their own. They may not have gone to the bathroom on their own. They are radically dependent. And the Bible says if you're going to come to Jesus, you're not going to come with all that you offer him. You're going to come in radical dependence, okay? You're going to come in radical need, you're going to come dependent with your hands out, needing to receive everything from Jesus. There's this great picture in John chapter 15. Jesus describes the Christian life like this He says, I'm divine. And, 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 and you're the branches, right? Like, like you are vitally connected to me. Let me read it, John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Did you hear that last part? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, this is the picture that Jesus wants you to have of the kingdom and of the Christian life is that you're radically dependent upon God. Like, like you desperately need him. Where are where, where you, where you going to get your righteousness? Okay? Here's the story of the New Testament. You're not going to get it on your own. Like, like, you don't earn this. You can't be good enough. If you're here this morning and you're trying to be good enough, you're coming to God saying, here's what I got, God. I'm a good guy. I've done these things. I give. I do this. I do that. And so I'm coming to you saying, look, look, here's what I'm offering. Well, you're going to go to hell, okay? Because you can't even get in the kingdom that way. The only way you get in the kingdom is by saying, God, I am completely helpless before you. I am completely broken and busted. I can't do anything of good on my own. I need your righteousness. I need you. That's the, that's the only way that we come into the kingdom. We're not good enough. We've got to come to him for forgiveness. We've got to come to him for righteousness. We've got to come to him for wisdom and strength and love and mercy. We've got to come to, come to Jesus with our hands open, needy, and dependent upon him. This is why I worry about those folks who, uh, I bring this up often because I hear it often, but I worry about those folks who, when I ask them about their prayer life, they say things like, you know, I don't pray for myself very much. I just figure, like, you know, there's a lot of people worse off than me, so I pray for everybody else, but I don't really pray for me much. Okay, noble at first, okay, that's noble from the standpoint of you should be praying for others. so glad you have that heart to pray for others, but here's the deal that you ought to believe about yourself. You desperately need God, okay? Now, I mean, I to come into the kingdom, but then once you're in the kingdom, man, you need him. You, you are desperate for him each day. You cannot do anything of spiritual value without him. You ought to always stay in a position of dependence upon God. Okay, so number one, there's this picture. Jesus puts this child in front of him and says, Hey, you can't even get in the kingdom unless you become like a child. What does that mean? Unless you're dependent, okay? Unless you have this spirit of God, I need you. I desperately need you. It's one of the reasons that fuels our prayer life, okay? You'll find the more dependent you are on God, the more you pray, the more more you come to God saying, God, I need you, okay? Characteristic number two is, is just simply this childlike trust. We call it childlike faith. Uh, We have a a phrase for it, right? Everybody knows what it means. It means that kids trust very easily. So you don't get in the kingdom unless you learn to trust, unless you learn to trust your father. Uh, My favorite story, I've told it here before, but I just don't have a better one. My favorite story for this is when my 15-year-old was about three uh, two or three years old, and we were at Mesa Verde National Park, and we were uh, we were climbing through the cliff dwellings. And I had her in the Kelty on my back; I had her strapped onto the Kelty. She was strapped in back there. And uh, there's this one really cool one that you gotta you gotta come out kind of on a cliff edge, and then there's this tall ladder, this wooden ladder that you climb up to get up into the next section. Okay, so when you're up there about halfway, you know you're looking down, and there's just this you know cliff that that is straight down. You know, and so I'm climbing up there and I hear her little voice trembling in the back. She she must have looked down and she says, Daddy, are we gonna fall? You know, and I, I could tell she's scared. And and so I'm climbing that thing, I said, No, babe. I said, You're strapped into daddy. I said, You can't fall. Daddy's not gonna fall. Okay. Actually, probably I overstated, you know, I might have, but you know, what I told her was, you know, hey, you're strapped into me and I'm not falling, you know. And she's like, okay. And I hear her dig into her crackers. Like I can hear her back there. <laughs> she's got crackers in there. And, she, and I mean, it's just a beautiful picture of, hey, dad, we're in peril. No, we're not. Okay, you know, have some crackers and juice, you know. I mean, that that's that's a great picture of, of what Jesus is talking about here with childlike faith. It's it's this, this man, God, you've got it. I trust you. And, and, and so I'm dependent upon you and I'm trusting of you. Okay, now, Here's where the greatness part comes in, okay? So, so the first thing Jesus does is he puts the child in front of him and says, unless you are like this kid, you're not even getting in the kingdom, okay? Now, now let's talk about the greatness part of it, okay? Next verse, verse 5. Then he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, okay? Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, okay? So, so here's the deal. What do you do with what God has given you, all right? This is a great picture of the Christian life, okay? So how do you get in the kingdom? Just like this, okay? God, I'm broken, I'm busted, I'm a sinner, I can't save myself, I've got no righteousness, and I desperately need you, and I desperately will trust you, okay? I will trust you, I will follow. Whatever you say, I'm in, I believe it, okay? That's how you get into the kingdom. Now, once you're in the kingdom, now what do you do? Now what do you do? Well, Jesus says we, we take what God has given and we look for the needy. Man, get this, get this. Greatness kingdom is I am the needy. Okay? I am the needy. And that now, and now, now that I receive, what do I what do I do with that? Do do I receive and look around and be like, hey, I got more than you. <laughs> you know, is that what greatness is? Yeah, you know? hey, I got more than you. Man, look at all I got. I, I got a whole bunch here. And I and so I'm the boss, I'm the king, I'm I'm the ruler, I'm the number one guy. No, 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 no. Jesus immediately says, what what do you do? Whoever receives this one, one such child in my name, receives me. How do you live it out? Once once you get it, then what do you do? And you pour it out. You look for the needy. Okay, now let's let's talk about what he means here. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Okay, two things here, okay? Two dimensions going on. Jesus does this all the time, okay? You got physical and spiritual, and they're both applicable, okay? I, I, it would be wrong to try to pick one and say he means this, not this. He means both, okay? He means, first of all, the physical kid, all right? So I, I actually I actually think he's talking about, hey, you, those of you who have received this great grace of God, you ought to look for kids. You, you ought to look for physical kids to pour out blessing and riches upon, Okay? I, I, obviously the kid is sitting right in the middle, okay? But there's also a spiritual application here. So, so notice, let's read it again. Look at verse four. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about believers there, right? He's talking about you and I, who when we come to God, we're like, okay, God, I'm desperate and in, in need of you. I'm dependent upon you. I trust you. And now I am one of those children of the kingdom, okay? So follow the, 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 the thought. Verse five, whoever receives one such child, one such child meaning the one who believes in me in my name receives me. Okay, but whoever, look at the next verse. Whoever caused one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, right? So he's talking spiritual children as well, right? So it's not just little kids. It is little kids, but it's also the needy in the faith, right? like the needy in the kingdom the poor the blind the helpless the the, the those who are needy the, the the Christian that needs a friend the single mother the the, the widow the orphan right it's it's all of those okay it, it is it is both physical and spiritual all right if we go into Mark same deal like like you it, it's both in mark 9 um, verse uh, 35. The context, again, is humility. He says he set them down, called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, servant of all. Next verse, verse 36. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and, and t- take him in his arms. He said to them, whoever receives once a child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not him, uh, not, not me, but him who sent me. Okay? So again, physical and spiritual, both, both little children and both those needy in the faith. Okay? Now, why do we receive the needy? Because we become like our father. Okay? This is greatness. Okay? You want to know what greatness is? It's becoming like the father. Okay? What does the father do? He looks for the needy and he pours it out on him. Right? That's what the father does. That's the characteristic of our father is that, is that we're spiritually bankrupt. He is a a trillionaire, right, spiritually, and what does he do? He delights to lavish, to pour out his riches on the needy, all right? And when you come into the kingdom, here's what greatness is. Greatness is learning to be like your father. It is learning to, to, to pour out upon the needy, all right? So So why do we receive the needy? Because we become like our father. Our neediness, our weakness, our helplessness, our faith in him triggers his explosion of grace in our lives. And then we become his children and we become like him. In 1 John four eleven, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God has loved us, then we love one another. I mean, that's all through the New Testament. Why do we love? Because God has loved us. All right? So, so we take that grace and we take that power and we take that wisdom and we take the spiritual blessings and we take the joy and we take the, the, the glorious hope and steadfast faith and the love of God poured into our hearts. We take all of that and we we give it to God. The needy, okay? Now, let's talk specifics here, okay? One of the things that we always wanna do when we read our Bibles, okay? So hopefully you guys are in your Bible during the week, and and one of the things you always wanna do is you always wanna say, okay, what does this mean? What do I see about God here? What do I see about me here? What is he teaching? Is there a command? Is there a promise? But then eventually, you gotta get here. How do I obey this, right? like like how do i put skin on this how how do i obey what i read we're we're not to be people who who consult god's opinion on things we're to be people who are submitted to his lordship and so what does this specifically mean to us all right so let's let's look at that all right so verse verse uh, 5 whoever receives one such child in my name receives me all right so what are we supposed to do we're supposed to receive a child now what does it mean to receive a child well literally there's there's two definitions of that word the, the first definition is to take something into your arms, okay? So literally, take a kid, okay? Now, be careful here. Please do not pick up kids that are not yours, all right? That you don't know. That could get you in bad trouble, particularly in our day and age, all right? So so let's let's back up and say this is not just go be a, a kid grabber, okay? So make sure you have permission and probably know the kid and, you know, all that sort of stuff, okay? But literally, I mean... It is literally saying, you know, as Jesus did, he scooped up a kid in his arms, okay? Metaphorically, though, this word was used often for welcoming somebody into your life, welcoming them into your home, meeting their needs with kindness and attention. In other words, receive them into your care, all right? So so it's it's literally to receive a child. Now, here's where we got to go with this, all right? Number one application, you should make time for ministry to children, all right? I'm just going to say that. I, I know some of you are going to be like, "I'm not a kid person. I'm not." Hey, you got to deal with Jesus with that, all right? I, I just I, I don't know what else to say because there is no other application more more pressing than that one. I mean, he's saying you should make time for ministry to children. Okay. Now, I, I, let me let me kind of let me let me head off your arguments at the past, Okay. Some of you are going to say, you know what. I, my time is really more valuable than that like like i'm really a marketable person i'm a very successful person maybe you're the kind of person you can turn seconds and hours into a lot of money you know and maybe that lot of money can do a lot of good things for a lot of good people all right maybe you're that guy or maybe you're the person that man you you you're needed by a lot of people right you you've got skills you've got you've got wisdom you've got education that make you really important and influential and literally there are people waiting in line for your time there are people waiting in line for your counsel and your particular set of skills. And so does it really make sense for you to give time to people who watch Peppa Pig? You know, people who who wipe boogers on their bedroom wall and wear their shoes on the wrong feet and they don't care? Does it really make sense for someone who can make a lot of money, someone who's really important and lots of people need their time, does it make sense for you to give time and attention to these kind of people? Well, Jesus did. So here's, here's the rub. Go to the next chapter in Matthew 19 and verse 13. It says, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked the people. Why are the disciples rebuking the people? Because this doesn't make sense, right? You've got a guy here who literally has the words of life. You have a man here who can raise the dead, all right? He's got things to do. You've got a guy here who can make the blind to see and the paralytic to walk and, and the sick to be well, who can cast out demons. You've got a guy here who has a direct line to God. You've got a guy who's gonna save the world. You've got a guy who can feed 20,000 people with a brown bag lunch, all right? Does it make sense for him to be talking to kids about Marshall on Paw Patrol? You know, does that make sense to anybody? And so it did not to the disciples. And so they begin to rebuke the people for bringing the kids to him. And then Jesus says this, Matthew 19, 14. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them. And there was no guy ever more valuable. There was no man whose time was not more pressed than Jesus. He's got three years. He's got a three-year ministry window here to save the world and train a small mission force to build his worldwide church and take the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation. He's got three years to do that, and he is messing around with kids. He's got them on his lap. Books, the Bible records that story in Matthew. It records that story in Mark. It has got to be telling us something. Would you just believe that this morning? It's telling us something. It's telling us something about the value of children in the kingdom of God. Jesus taught them and he hugged them and he healed them and he prayed for them. He even raised a couple from the dead. So when it says that those who come humbly into the kingdom... Those who come empty handed and needy into the kingdom and receive this gold mine of heavenly riches, when it says they will turn around and they will find children with whom they pour out riches, I, I think it's being literal here. Here's what we know we know that the Holy Spirit loves to bring kids into the kingdom. Again, Mark 10. 13, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw it, he said with indignance, He said, Let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. God delights to bring kids in the kingdom. God, God delights to bring kids in the kingdom who are later going to be. Great men in the kingdom. One of the greatest pastors in the New Testament is Timothy. Listen to how Timothy came to faith. Second Timothy three. It's by his grandmother and his, his mother investing in him. And in Second Timothy three, fourteen and fifteen it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Timothy knew this stuff from childhood. Why? Because his grandma and his mother poured it into him. A 2015 survey, this wasn't long ago, 2015, of the National Association of Evangelicals, so that would probably include our circle, right? It said this, it found that 63% of Christians came to faith between the ages of 4 and 14. That should make you pray for Pastor Daniel and Pastor Andrew as they lead us well in this great harvest opportunity of children's ministry. That should make you, that statistic alone should make you value kids. When you look at this from a kingdom perspective, when you look at this from a, a gospel to the nations, when you look at this from this perspective of heaven or hell, it ought, it ought to make us mindful of that window. So Jesus says when you receive a child in his name, you're receiving him. Spending time with a child, welcoming a child into Sunday school, welcoming a child into the church bus on Wednesday night, welcoming a child into teen kids in the fellowship hall for a meal, welcoming a child to Sunday night small group, welcoming a child to morning, noon, weekday discipleship groups. I cannot tell you how excited. I'm super excited about what we've done around the world for missions, but I can't tell you how exciting it is that I am seeing we've got 50, 60 Uh, adult groups meeting all week long. In the mornings, noon, I see people opening up their Bibles, doing the same thing, reading a chapter. What does it say? How do we obey it? But I, I can't tell you how exciting it is. I'm seeing kids do that. I'm see, I've am i seen Pastor Daniel with his boys group for quite a while, but now I'm seeing other other adults in our church with groups of kids early in McDonald's with the Bibles open following that same model. And I can't tell you how excited it is. We have a junior high. We may have a couple, but I know of at least one junior high boys group that is meeting with their friends. They're meeting with, with, with some of our leaders and kind of equipping the week a couple days before, and then they're meeting with their own friends leading a group. And I can't tell you how powerful that is in the scope of the kingdom of God. And, and so Jesus says, when you do that, okay, when you welcome a child in the Sunday school, into the church bus, into team business ministry, into Sunday night, onto your lap, into discipleship, into your care, it says you are welcoming Jesus. Please, let's read it again. Whoever receives one such child in my name, you see it? Receives me. But please don't think Jesus just says stuff, Okay? Like, like he's actually saying, when you receive that child, okay, when you welcome that child, when you pour out the riches of God upon that child, you are doing that to Jesus. He said it. He said, that's what you're doing. Okay? Now, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, man, I saw that kid. Face covered in crusties. What was that? The smell. Mixture of goldfish crackers and poo. Did you hear that shrill voice? They can't even say they're ours. You're telling me that was Jesus? That's the king? Well, actually, Jesus is telling you that. I'm I'm not, I mean, he's the one that said it. He said, when you receive crusty face, Peppa Pig watching, consumed with, with Marshall on Paw Patrol, can't say they're ours, and you pour out mercy and grace on them, You're pouring it out on Jesus. Jesus says, that is unto me. You know why it's him? Because they're needy. They can't do anything for you. So if you're pouring into them, if you're valuing them, if you're dumping out riches on them, it's, it's because it's been dumped out on you. This is not always true for our own kids, honestly, because uh, you know, with our own kids, there's other things in there, right? In there, like like how many parents are are somehow kind of their identity and worth are connected to their children. How many hundred percent, maybe you know, right? Like so, sometimes sometimes our own kids, how how we react to our own kids, is not the best indicator. It is it is a it, it's obviously in it, right? But sometimes it's not the best indicator because there's other things in that for us. But Jesus, Jesus is talking about just children, right? You're doing it for Jesus. Because you're not getting anything from them. You're not getting anything from them. I, I so I actually I expected some amens from our team kid workers, all right? Because it's it's super apparent on Wednesday night, is it not? I mean, they're not gonna buy you anything, they're not, they're not gonna pay you back with favors, they're not gonna put in a good word for you. They're not going to loan you their nice stuff. They're not going to invite you over. They're not even going to appreciate what you do for them. Okay? Not our Wednesday night group. They're not going to. In 22 years in Team Kid ministry, I have heard this conversation over and over. It Actually, I heard it the other day, and I had to turn away and smirk and laugh because, um, because I've said it. I've said it, and I've given the speech before. And, uh, and I heard it again. But here, here's kind of the way it goes, right? It's a really frustrating night. Like you're trying to give them the words of life. You're trying to give them the most important thing ever, you know. And they are, you know, making flatulence noises and, you know, giggling and crawling under the deal. And they've got to go to the bathroom 103 times. and one you know, I mean, it's just, a, and, you know, it just wears on you and it wears on you and it wears on you. And it, at some point during the night, you know, there's this speech, you know, that's given to the kids, you know. And the speech kind of goes like this. Don't you guys realize that? we don't have to be here you know we don't have to be here doing this for you you know we we we, we could be somewhere i could be watching esp and i could be in my chair i could be eating doritos you know but i'm here because because i love you you know and i want you you know but don't you realize that And all these big guys are up there and and here's what i i know in my mind and i'm thinking i'm like they don't care. You know, I mean, they really don't. Like, like you know, I mean, they're, they're kind of snapped to attention because you've gotten all emotional on them. But they they don't care, you know. They don't care that you're not watching ESPN, you know. All they care is this Billy thing, my Flatch's noise was funny, you know. I mean, that's really, that's really all they care. They don't care about that. And so here's the deal. If you hang in there in children's ministry, it's because it's for Jesus. That's what I love about it. I mean, really, that's what I love about it. Like, those folks that hang in there, it, it's because it's for Jesus. You see, if you got God's heart, if he dumped his riches out on you, then you look for the needy. Now, not just children, okay? I mean, they represent something here, but but like, like l- listen to Luke 14. Uh, I'll start reading verse 12. He, he also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Uh, you can't invite those, by the way, but, but he's saying, here's the spiritual component. He says, lest they invite you in return, you be repaid. See, that's the way most of the world works, okay? But listen to what he says here. He says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See, here's the heart of greatness. The heart of greatness is when you have have been like this with God and you've embraced the riches that he has poured out on you. By faith, you believe that. Like you you, you believe, I am a rich man in Jesus. Like I I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. I know not all of you feel that, first of all. I, I I know some of you. You, you haven't. You haven't appropriated. You don't believe that. Okay, but what I'm saying is, I, I want you to. I mean, I want you to believe what the scriptures say. I want you. I want you to believe you are headed to hell. You, you are headed to a, an eternity of God's wrath being poured out upon you and God has plucked you from that and he has set his favor upon you and he's given you his spirit and he's put incredible, unimaginable hope inside of you for the future and, he, and he's given you every spiritual blessing. He's forgiven you of your sins and he's given you his righteousness and, and you stand in this, this abundance of riches, okay? And then because of that, because of that, you immediately turn to be like your father and you turn to look for who is in need that I might pour that out on. Man, living that way changes you. We, the story's risky, but I want to tell it because I want, I, want I want you to get it. I want you to see how meaningful this is to me. So this week was a big week for us. We had huge two days that really were, man, we've been waiting for three and a half years, you know, some other families. I mean, it was was big. It was big, emotional, like, okay. Comes the end of it, right? Jury goes out like 4.45, okay. We don't know how long they're gonna be in there. We've been there for two days, I'm supposed to preach at the prison at Fort Supply at 530. It was scheduled long before I knew this deal was coming. Um, so I'm there. My wife is there. Now, Now normally, normally, and I've made this mistake before. I made this mistake early on my ministry of putting ministry before my wife and really hurting her in a, a tough time. And so I, I, did, I, I don't want to do that again. I was weighing all that. And, and so I was weighing, okay, do I, do I, do I call somebody? Hey, you got to preach for me. Um, yeah, go out there, you know, or, or do I go, what do I do? And, and man, this, this thing, my, my theology on this actually made me make the decision. Okay. Now here, here here's my thinking. And and again, not, not everybody has Emma for a wife. So if your wife is, is the kind of wife that like, you're going to hurt her, if you, then you need to stay. Okay. Uh, my wife's not that. I mean, she just she's pretty tough, and uh, and and I, I kind of knew where she was at on the deal. And so, so here is my theology. My theology was this: I was thinking, okay, God, do I go? Do I stay? What do I do? And and here's what here's what sealed the deal for me. It was that I was going to I was going to preach the gospel to felons who will never do anything for me. Okay, that that was part of what really gripped my decision. If I if I'd have been going to First Baptist Shattuck to preach their youth group, I probably would have called Drew and said, buddy. Get in the car. Go for me. Okay, um, but but I was I was going to, to to preach to to a bunch of felons who probably will never get out and come to my church, who will never give me any kudos. I mean, it was it, it's one of those ministries. I actually really enjoy it, but but it was one of those just pouring out ministries. And here was my thought as I prayed about that in the courtroom. I was thinking about it all afternoon. I was thinking this is probably going to come down to I'm gonna have to make a decision. And here's here's what I thought. I thought God. I'm gonna go pour out the best thing ever on these guys who don't deserve it and I'm gonna trust you to handle this deal that was literally my my, my thinking I was like that, that's this is the way we ought to live like 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 that's how we ought to make our decisions it, it's so frustrating with me a lot of a lot of people who struggle with depression and uh. I know that's a real painful thing, but what I'm always pushing them toward that they're always rebelling against is, all right, what you need to do is you need to go find somebody who's needy, and you need to pour yourself out, and, and what what is what is the response there? Almost always, I, I don't have any, I, I, I'm empty, I, I need something. No, 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 you don't, like what you need to do is, is empty-handed before your father and say, God, I, I am in need of you. And whatever you give, I'm going to pour it out. I'm going to go find the needy and pour it out. And I believe so, Isaiah 58, we don't have time to look at it. But I believe Isaiah 58 tells you that's the model. When you pour yourself out, God just keeps pouring in. I don't mean like any kind of guarantee thing. Like, well, I'm going to do this. And then, God, you got to do what I want. No, I just mean just like trusting God. Like, I'm going to go pour myself out. I'm gonna trust you to pour it in. Instead of this whole thinking of, well, I gotta I got leverage my strength and what I have and keep it, and no. Guys, Jesus is saying, I've poured it out on you. Now you go pour it out. John Piper said this, he said, rely on God's fatherly care to supply all your needs and use all that supply to meet the needs of the children, spiritual and physical. In other words, here's the way I would say it. When you're needy, God supplies your needs, and you immediately look for the needy to supply their needs. I think that's the way this deal works. So how are we going to obey? Real quick, here's just a bunch of stuff. Are you ready? There's 153 orphans worldwide. Why don't you receive one of them in Jesus' name? Right now, there are 437,465 children in the foster care system in the United States. 9,277 of those children are in Oklahoma. There is 100 in Woodward County. 586 in Oklahoma are waiting for forever families. How about the obvious? Are you discipling your own children? Are you discipling your grandchildren? Are you discipling your nieces, your nephews? How about your friends' kids? Another one of my just exciting pastor moments is when I have seen this week some of you with your friends kids out discipling them with the bible open pouring into them i love to see that man that makes me happy who are you receiving in jesus name now real quick and man we're out of time so we're going to have to just whip through this what about the other side of this but i i don't i don't want to i don't want to just leave it there we got to get the other side of this coin maybe we'll, we'll talk more about it next week but verse verse 6 Okay, the other side of this is whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. To stumble or to cause a stumble means to trip somebody up from following Jesus, okay? And here's the essence of what Jesus says. He said, you'd be better off dying a horrible death before you cause one of these little ones to stumble. There's millstones everywhere in North Africa, by the way. Yeah, our trip we, we take in January, uh, man, you see them everywhere. Every little cave you go in, every every little village, every little hut, you know, uh, somewhere in there, they've got a millstone pulled by a camel or a donkey, and they are these enormous stones that grind the olives or grind the grain. Uh, I found a small one in a cave. I got a picture of this. It's a small one. It's only about like this. It's the smallest one I'd ever seen. And I got up there on that platform and I tried to budge it. I could not even budge it. I couldn't even roll it, okay? These these things are incredibly heavy. And, And Jesus' picture here is it's a big deal to cause someone to sin. It's a big deal to trip somebody up in their walk with Jesus, okay? Everything Jesus is saying here is to shock you into carefulness, carefulness with the needy. You can cause someone to sin, I'm just gonna read them real quick, by direct temptation, by offering, encouraging them to sin, to distrust God, to rebel against his commands. You can cause someone to sin by sinning against them. Man, parents, we should be careful of our anger, careful of our careless words. You should be careful in children's ministry. Be careful about your own spirit toward children toward the needy. You can cause someone to send through your example. We looked last week at Jeroboam, who had this, this horrific legacy of, of leading generations of the men in his family to fall into the same sin of idolatry. You can can cause someone to sin through hypocrisy, through, through saying one thing loudly with your mouth and living a completely different way. Parents, be careful that you do not cause a little one to sin through your own hypocrisy. You can cause someone to sin through neglect, through partiality, through simply not meeting needs that clearly need to be met. You can cause someone to sin through not thinking of your weaker brother. Exercising your own kind of kind of a, a strength in Christ, and and not thinking of other people's weakness. But let me just close with this. When I think of this passage this week, I can't help but think of Planned Parenthood, and 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 I know you're thinking, why why are you talking to us? I don't. Know, this here was my hope. This these are recorded. They're on the internet. God, would you use it? But I I couldn't help but think of Planned Parenthood, 652,639 abortions last year. Little ones made in the image of God, ripped from the womb, murdered almost 650,000 women who were tempted, who were urged, who were enticed, who were compelled to such a grievous sin against God. And I urge you to repent. I would call on publicly, I would call on Planned Parenthood to repent and to run to the mercy of God in Jesus. And here's what I would say. There is room at the cross for you. Like The the blood of Jesus, this blows me away. The blood of Jesus is sufficient even to cover the innocent blood on your hands. It is sufficient. Jesus can forgive. Because if you do not repent, I believe what Jesus is saying here with this millstone is there is no horror that I could vocalize. There is no nightmarish scenario that we could imagine that could be compared to the wrath of God that awaits you forever. I believe this is a call to seriousness. And so let's apply that to our life. Let's be obedient to where we're at right now. If you're you're not one of the children, then you need to become one. If you have not come to God and say, God, I am broken, helpless, busted. I can't help myself. I need you. I need what Jesus did for me on the cross. I need his death, his burial, and his resurrection to even come into the kingdom. And then once you're in the kingdom, God, enable me to appropriate and receive your riches and then to look, look for the needy, look for those I can pour it out upon. Let's pray together. God, please help us to do that, just that. God, I pray that you would bring us to a childlike dependence, a childlike faith this morning. Father, I pray that you would bring us to just receive and appropriate and and enjoy, God, the riches of your salvation. God, that we would feel full, that we would see greatness as, as receiving from you, and then looking at who we can pour that out upon. God, give us that kind of spirit. Father, we ask it in Christ's name, amen. Would you stand please? We're gonna sing together.